holidays always seem to bring different things to our mind, don't they? But especially when you think of Christmas, chances are as soon as I say the word Christmas, something pops into your mind. Maybe it's a certain Christmas that you celebrated that you particularly remember. Maybe it was your first Christmas as a married couple or your first Christmas as a grandparent or as a parent. Maybe it was a special gift that you received that year or a gift that you gave to someone. For some of us, Christmas is all about the food, right? The baked goods, the sugar cookies, not so much the fruitcake. I'm not so sure why that's still popular, Um, but especially Elizabeth Carter cinnamon rolls. If you've had those, you've been blessed by those. For some, it's all about the, the decorations or the lights. How many of you have a certain Christmas movie that you watch every year? Raise your hand. Let me see. How many of you watch certain Christmas movie? Maybe it's A Wonderful Life or Miracle on 34th Street. I wonder if there are any other suffering husbands like me that the month of December, your wife wants to watch what's called the Hallmark Christmas movies. Have you seen those before? Yeah, go ahead. Testify right now. That'll be good. It's good for the soul. There's something weird about those movies. I tell Lindsay when she's watching, look, I can tell you all this is going to end because they all end the same way. I think they're the same writer. I could write them in my sleep, you know, but, but we watch those. For, for some of us, when we think of Christmas, we identify with a, the gospel writer Luke who said that Christmas brings us good news of great joy. But if we're honest, and I hope it's okay if we're honest here for just a moment, for many of us, when we think of Christmas, we think that we're just failures. See, why do we think that we're failures? Because we have pictures like this one that you've seen before, the, the famous Norman Rockwell painting of Christmas. And we look at this painting and we look at our lives and maybe we see a, a social media post that someone put online. Maybe it's a conversation with someone else and we see their house that's perfectly decorated. We see all the expensive gifts they're able to buy for their children. Then we talk about the, how, what meals they're going to enjoy. Uh, they make all these home-cooked goods and they're going to have a meal around the table every night. And it's, it's easy to look at their highlight reel and then to look at our reality and do what? To throw our hands up in the air and, and just give up. Say, why do I even try? I'll never what? I'll never measure up. And sadly, many times I'm afraid we do the same thing with our faith. I don't know where you are in your journey of faith, but for many of you, maybe you grew up in church when you were younger. You had great hopes and plans and intentions of of incredible things that you were going to do with your life, how you were going to make an impact for the kingdom of God. But then, well, life happened. Hardships came. Surprises came and knocked you down. You made mistakes in your life that you never thought you would make. And as you look back on your life, you think there's no way that God could be pleased with me. There's no way that this is where you expected where you would be at this stage in your life. And so it's easy for us to say, well, since God's mad at me, because since there's no way that he could be proud of me because of the mistakes I've made in my life, then why should I even continue to seek God? Why should I even continue to go to church? Why should I even try to read my Bible or pray? Because there's no way that God could be pleased with me. Well, friends, I've got good news for you this morning. The good news is the message of Christmas, it's the exact opposite. The message of Christmas is that our biggest need is that love has come to dwell with us, that our Savior, Emmanuel, that He has come to be with us. 
See, friends, you don't have to measure up. In fact, the message of Christmas is this. You will never measure up. Jesus knew the reason that God sent Jesus was because you and I, we could not meet or we could not keep the demands of the law to have what what the Bible calls this right standing before God. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? But to fulfill them. See, there's nothing wrong with that Norman Rockwell painting. There's nothing wrong if on Christmas morning you want to post a picture of your kid's excitement opening presents or you want to post a, a video of that. But I have a different hope for us this Christmas. And that is that we won't miss the true meaning of why we celebrate this Christmas season. See, think about this. Before the the earth was even created, God the Father and God the Son, they got together and they made a pact. They made a covenant. And this is the covenant that they made. In Galatians, it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Friends, no matter how unworthy you might feel here this morning, I want you to hold on to this fact. I want you to hold on to the fact that the reason that God sent His Son was because He knew that you could not keep His laws. He knew that you could not meet the standard that He kept. So He made a payment for you so that you could be forgiven. Jesus came and He lived a perfect life. He obeyed every law that you've broken. He died a death that He didn't deserve and He died in your place. Why else in the world would God send the Savior of mankind to come into this world to be shivering in the cold, wrapped up in leftover rags, lying in a feeding trough? His very life dependent upon his young mother and soon-to-be father. Why would the Savior of the world have to think about it? He had to learn a language. He had to learn to trade. He had to obey his earthly parents who we know were clearly flawed. After he he continued to to, to live his life, later we know that he would, would be tempted by Satan after his baptism. He would go for 40 days and while he was hungry, he would defeat the attacks of the evil one. Why else would the Savior of the world, he didn't think about this, he didn't just associate with sinners and outcasts. What did he do? He fellowshiped with them. He had meals with them. He gave life to the immoral, some of which we say we can't even come in contact with. That's who Jesus came for. Later on in his life, he would be shamed and humiliated. He'd be stripped and beaten. And eventually he'd be nailed to a cross. And when he was nailed to that cross, he would bear the wrath of God's judgment against sin. But why would all this happen to Jesus? This happened so that this Christmas and that every day of your life that you would know that you're not today, nor will you ever be alone. You will never be alone 
and you can rejoice in the fact that God's love for you is not based upon your performance. His love for you is not based on what you do for him, but his love for you is based on what Jesus has done on your behalf. For every single thing that we've ever done wrong, we tend to like to, to carry on. I like to say we like to lug this guilt and shame that we have. Friend, you can lay that down. You can know that you can be forgiven. You can lay that guilt. You can lay that shame at the manger and eventually at the cross because you can be forgiven. You can be redeemed. But friend, you're not redeemed because you do a bunch of good works. A lot of people think that. They say, well, I think I'm going to go to heaven when I die because I think I've done more good than bad. Well, who's the judge of that? And who says what you do is good based on what the next person says? No, no, no. You're not forgiven because of good works. You're not forgiven because you come to church. You're not forgiven because you give money to charity or nonprofit. No, your forgiveness, your redemption is found in a manger. Our redemption is found in a feeding trough at Christmas in a child who left heaven's throne to be born in a manger. And that child would continue to grow up. Eventually, after living 33 years, he would be nailed to a cross, taking your punishment, taking my punishment upon his shoulders so that if we confess our sins, if we repent of our sins, if we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, not some moral teacher, not just a good guy, not just one of many ways to heaven, but if we will trust him as the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him, if we trust in that, then we can be forgiven. Our sins will be paid in full. We will no longer have a debt. But friends, it doesn't stop there. The good news isn't just that our sins are forgiven. It's not even that we can inherit eternal life and that we can spend eternity with Jesus. The, the good news continues in understanding that we actually receive Jesus's perfect record of obedience before God. Paul puts it this way, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? Here it is. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus takes your sin. He takes your punishment. And in turn, what does he give you? He gives you Jesus's perfect record of obedience before God. So friends, here's the good news I want to give you at Christmas this year. It doesn't matter how great your decorations look. It doesn't matter the expensive gifts you can or can't get your children. It doesn't matter if you're, you have your act together or not. The good news of Christmas this year is that you don't have to have everything together for God to love you. You are loved by God, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has already done for you. Just take a deep breath. Just rejoice in the fact that you don't have to earn His love. You receive it. Because it's a gift. And a gift is not something that you deserve or you earn. It's something that's freely given to you, but you have to make the choice to receive this gift. And by the way, what is it you're supposed to do with all those difficulties and hardships we talked about? 
What about all those mistakes that you've made and you think, well, there's no way that God could love me because of all the mistakes that I've done. I love the way that Charles Spurgeon puts it. He says, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Let me read that one more time. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against who? The rock of ages. What do you do? You turn to Christ. You admit your failures, but you don't allow your mistakes. You don't allow the things that have happened to you to be an excuse to throw up in your hands, to give up and say, I just can't continue anymore. I can't earn His love. You rejoice in the fact that you can't earn His love and He loves you in spite of your mistakes. He loves you in spite of your failures. You find your perseverance in Christ. What do you do in those hardships? You lean into Him in the midst of those difficulties. And here's what you'll find. You will discover the nearness of your Lord and Savior even in the midst of those hardships in ways that you've never experienced before. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person who is here this morning. I pray that if they have not received the gift of eternal life, that this Christmas they would stop trying to earn your love and instead they would turn from their sins. They would confess their sins before you and they would find a loving Savior running with open arms waiting to welcome them into your family. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't miss the true meaning of Christmas, the miracle that you broke into earth so that we might have a relationship with you. Lord, I know that there are people here today that are going through a difficult Christmas, that this is one that they've been dreading for some time because of difficulties, mistakes, or whatever life has thrown their way. And I pray that they would lean into you. I pray that they would find the nearness of you to be a sweet, sweet thing that only you can provide. Would your Holy Spirit provide comfort and love in ways only that he can. And I pray that we would honor you in all that we say and all that we do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.